You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and I am here with my friend Nina. Hi. Um, I have kind of followed Nina for a long time, probably what? five or six years? Indy was born in February so uh, of 2014, so it would be six years since she was born in February. Oh, wow. And that's when you started following. Yeah, yeah, yes, okay. yeah, that is. Um, we kind of grew up with the same group of friends somewhat, mm-hmm. so we're a little mm-hmm. bit connected there, but um, it's been really cool to see how vulnerable she is in sharing her story, so we're really, really excited to have her here. Um, so yeah, we'll just kind of start from there, so... Okay. Let's talk about your first. Okay. Um, so, like I said, my daughter, Indy, Indira, we call her Indy. She uh, was born February of 2014, um, and she was stillborn. So, um, yeah, that sucked. Um, How as an far along were you? I was 37 weeks. Okay. So, um, around 35 weeks, I fa- was started getting really itchy, like all over my whole body, and I just was told itching is normal. Um, but then last minute at my 35-week appointment, I asked my doctor, you know, what's going on, and he told me he wanted to test me for something called intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy. People just call it cholestasis. It's a lot of words. Um, didn't really give me much information, um, just told me my liver was malfunctioning most likely and um, wasn't processing bile properly. So when bile gets backed up in your bloodstream, it can be fatal for the baby around 37 weeks on average. So, and is this only during pregnancy uh-huh, people can get only it? Only during pregnancy and you're like, the only way to cure it is delivering the baby. Um, so I spent some time um, over the weekend researching it. Um, kind of found out what it was and found out the next week and I did a blood test that week and then the next week I found out that I was positive for cholestasis um and I was 35 weeks at the time and I say she was born at 37 weeks because we did end up doing an autopsy and they figured out that she was more like 37 weeks when she died um got the dates wrong so um but from the time that I found out what might be going on to the time that she was born is about a week um and so yeah, she, um, we found out my doctor wasn't, you know, very on, on the ball about it. I figured out my own, like, hey, I need non-stress tests, all these things. Went in for non-stress tests. She failed. Went into the hospital because she failed to do something called a biophysical profile. And um, it's a timed ultrasound. And they, they score the baby in categories, two points per category. And um, she got a four um, out of eight. So she was still... She was still moving at the time. She was... Um, in fact, like, the beginning of the day, she wasn't moving, so that's why I freaked and wanted to get a non-stress test. By the time I went in to get the non-stress test, she was doing worse. She didn't, um, she failed the non-stress test, like I said. Um, and uh, the ultrasound tech was like, she got a four out of eight. Um, you know, some doctors will send you home with these results, and some will send you straight to labor and div- delivery and get you induced. And um, he went and called my doctor, came back, and told me, your doctor said you could go home. Um, and she ended up dying the next day. So what? Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, really difficult to process all that. Um, and then, so then here I was. She she died the next day. I delivered her the day after that. Um, just got induced and delivered her like normal. I was just like, this is crazy. Like, I was like, oh, they're gonna do a C-section. Nope, you have to do a vaginal delivery. So um, so what is going through your mind that night when you're tech calls the doctor and the doctor says to go home so like I you know I'm a first-time pregnant mom I'm trying not to be that crazy lady like that's calling the doctor is just freaking about everything I wanted to be cool I wanted to be chill but you know I was really uncomfortable with it and that night I told myself if she's not moving very well then tomorrow I'm gonna like force my way in like I'm um I'm not okay with this so um the next morning because they asked me to do kick counts 10 I need to get 10 movements every two hours the next morning she was moving fine um yeah she seemed back to normal so I was just like okay you know I guess she's fine I'm going to continue to do kick counts but it was towards the evening that I realized um you know she's not moving as much things this isn't right so you know we tried 
eating I tried drinking like a soda get her moving and she would always move a lot in a hot shower and it's just I wasn't feeling anything so we ended up in um, labor and delivery and like pretty immediately the nurse's hand was shaking and she was trying to find a heartbeat and um, called the doctor in he took me into another room and yeah I pointed to the ultrasound and said see this spot right here this is her heart and it's not beating and you know so back to your question of like what was I thinking I was just like you know you try and follow your doctor and do what you think your doctor um is is right and um but you know I really learned from that that you gotta follow your instincts in situations like this and who cares if you're the crazy pregnant lady Mm -hmm. you know you you gotta do you this is not just like your baby's life but this is your life this is you know your health and your mental health and all these things so and were you at risk too with that? Um, at risk for what? Um, with the with cholestasis? Yeah. Oh no, not like any long term effects for me. But um, you know, you you never know. I've had a lot of health issues in my life. With I have Crohn's disease, so I have autoimmune diseases and you know medications and all these things. So you never know what's going to affect what you know in the yeah. long run. But um, yeah. So I I tried to listen to my doctor, but I and I didn't listen to my instincts, and you know, there's a lot of guilt um on you know with that but can't do much with it except learn from it I guess but um so yeah I mean after she was born here I am left I'm a mom but I'm not a mom you know I don't have a child to hold so you're left like grappling with these emotions and these thoughts like well who am I like where where do I fit into this now you know and so um and then of course I I go through all the motions of you know my breast milk came in my hormones came in like all those things so yeah because your um, body doesn't know the difference yeah your body doesn't know um so I did I mean I wonder like you know did I have postpartum depression or anything like that after delivery but it's hard to know because I was like in deep grief you know so so much trauma I don't know if there is a difference or if it's just you know if, if it's just all lumped into one thing but there was a lot of trauma and I had a lot of PTSD after that um you know, a lot of fears, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, like all those kinds of things. So, um, and you were pretty vocal about a lot of that on your social media while you were experiencing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So did you feel supported, judged? Oh, 100% supported. Um, you know, social media is kind of, can be an odd place. It can be a place where you don't feel good about yourself. You feel a lot of negativity, you know, a lot of comparison, all those types of things. But you know, I probably just had like a normal social media existence at that point. Um, and then it just kind of became this platform for me to, you know, share what was going on because so many people wanted to know. So it was just an easy way to disseminate information in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was, and I, I had never known anyone to have a stillborn besides my grandma. You know, I had no cl- close experiences in my life that I would known anybody that went through something like that. And, you know, let alone complicated pregnancies um I knew people with infertility issues in that struggle but never anybody that had you know lost a child so sharing that was kind of like well this is what's happening just to let you guys know but to also be like it's helping me process and and get out what I need to get out and what I want to say and I was you know at first I was kind of like afraid to share all of it but then I was just like this is my space I can share what I want people don't want to read it they don't have to read it you know if I don't want to follow you I don't follow you if you don't want to follow me don't follow me it's just all about like you know what you're interested in what content you want to put into your life and so that that became a really um, amazing place my husband and I say like we're like the like all that there is good in humanity like came to us through like social media I mean we had you know word spreads quickly and you share like have you seen this post have you seen this you know Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff Um, I had people reaching out to me from you know Finland and Australia and you know sending their love and sharing experiences and so I mean it's just like become like just international support group it's pretty amazing that's incredible um what would you say so the next thing is you guys go home Mm -hmm. and you try to adjust to life without Mm -hmm. being able to take a baby home yeah what do the next couple months look like for you guys do you go anywhere um we you know we doesn't help that it's winter yeah it was february so it was pretty cold and bleak it's just that you know the end of utah winter when it's just like gray and dark and terrible and you know um so it kind of it kind of fit nice with our mood i guess you know like i'm a very social person i'm a very outgoing person but like i just we just became homebodies for a while and we were like glued to each other 
Um, I had a beautiful experience in the hospital with her and my husband grieved deeply in the hospital. And then when we got home, it switched. You know, he, he kind of went through this like peaceful grieving process and I was like in deep, like tormented hell for like, mm, like I would say a solid month, you know, like just, I mean, and he was grieving too, but he had more, I think he got more of his like you know, tormented pain out in mm-hmm. those first few days in the hospital and maybe like right when we got home. Um, but it was kind of like an interesting thing. It was obviously not planned, but we just kind of would switch for each other. Um, the, the person that was, you know, able to function a little bit better supported the person that wasn't functioning. And that's kind of how it's been, you know, in six years since then, it's like we kind of take turns, but it's just interesting how, you know, you ebb and flow with that with each other. But yeah, we, we just kind of stuck home, um, you know, people just showed up for us um, in ways we didn't know we needed. You know, you just you don't know what you need. You don't know what you want. Um, this is going to sound silly, but I'm a huge Olympics fan. And the Olympics came on right after, you know, um, we lost her. So that was just like we just stuck home and we just watched the Olympics. And it just like I love it because it's like the world unifies. It's like peace and it's mm-hmm. like wonderful. And so that <laughs> that sounds funny, but it was just like it was no, really it. Yeah. awesome to like be a, you know watch that and have that right after. And we also had a friend that competed in the Olympics, and so it was fun to like watch her and you know she supported us from afar. And so that was just really exciting. So it was nice to have something that like unified us together to like put our interests into. Um, we really wanted to just surround ourselves with like positive things. Like anything I was watching on TV, any shows I was watching before that were just negative or whatever, it's just like, no, we didn't want any of that. We just, we needed to just be like pretty calm and um, just have like the basic necessities to figure out our, our new normal. And it, it, it was, you know, for the first month, it was like just so up and down. Um, it's just constant on your mind. Like it was just every, every minute I think I thought about it. Probably, yeah. I mean, every waking minute I thought about it um, in some way or another um, for weeks. Um, and then you, you know, you, you have constant support. But then as the time goes on, people have to get back into their regular lives and their regular routines. And you can't be that, that constant, you know, bringing your food, um, coming and being with you, these types of things. And so it's hard because you start to feel like people forget about you. Um, they don't, obviously, but you know we just have to move forward into this new normal of figuring out who we are now. You know, like I said, like I'm a mother now, but I'm I don't feel like a mother. You know, and so um, yeah, it was just it was a. It's hard. People ask me all the time, like, how did you survive? I'm like, I don't know. I just survived. You know, you just do what you got to do to survive and there's no shame in what you got to do to survive at that point so amen yeah <laughs> you got to grieve how you got to grieve exactly <laughs> and that's what I tell people when people say like what is your advice and I'm like don't don't shut any um any like wave of grief out don't shut the anger out don't shut you know the crying fits out don't and was like give your grief or whatever you're going through the respect it deserves and and let it happen because you like physically mentally emotionally you need to move through those those waves and those patterns and um because your body is that's how your body is processing and if we try to force or shut down anything you know we do ourselves a disservice so true so true um did you guys go to any kind of therapy what kind of how'd you get to the next step yeah so our hus- my husband and I are so different. Like I said, I'm I'm really social. I'm outgoing, and he's way more on the reserve side and homebody. Um, but we were like connected with a support group, and we did go to a support group once that was at the Provo Hospital, um, and it was really eye opening for him. And you know, because we are grieving kind of differently, and um, my husband's he you know internalizes grief, and he ends up you know having like a very visceral reaction and like getting ill um he like manifests in like stomach pains and all these kinds of things so it was like really interesting for him to be able to like um be in this room with people different stages of their life different stages of grief um um sharing like each person the husband and wife you know where they're at and just being validated and knowing that he's not the only one that has gone through like internalizing grief and that kind of stuff and you know having like a you know effect on your physical body and that kind of thing it like was just a breath of air for him I don't know he he only needed to go once and then he just felt like this weight lifted off of him so we did go to the support group once um relied on each other um I yeah I mean 
eventually through the connection of more women that you know my friend lost a child my friend you know someone's going through this um I made a friend um, and she created a support group so since then we've been in I've been in a support group it's called a mother's nature um, and it's local here to Utah and it's it's been nice to just be able to like you know meet people we have a retreat once a year um, it's interesting now because I just went in September and I sat there and I was as everyone went around and like shared their experiences of loss with their children I was there I was the person there that I have I'm the furthest out from my loss and that like that's crazy to me because it feels still feels so new but you know several people there it's only been six months since they lost their baby or something like that you know so it's amazing to be able to connect with people at different stages so you can look to the future um you know and see where you could be at potentially you know mm-hmm. or you know look back and be like oh man I remember being in that position you know just a few months out it's just like that deep hole of hell you know so yeah totally yeah, I found a lot of comfort in a support group, and um, I feel like my Instagram's kind of a support group, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so you guys ended up having another baby after that. Yeah, so... How in the world? <laughs> yeah. Was that terrifying? Oh, yeah, it was, it was really terrifying. Um, I ended up miscarrying in between Indy and my son um, was born 18 months later. But it was weird because um, during that mis- when I found out I was pregnant, I just felt no connection to the pregnancy. Like, I don't know what it was, and I ended up miscarrying, like, at eight weeks. So, you know, I look at them, like, I always thought, like, oh, I've, I've had a stillborn, like, a miscarriage will be no big deal, blah, 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 you know. Um, and so when I had that miscarriage, I was like, yeah, not a big deal. I was fine, you know. Um, but, like, right after that miscarriage, I got pregnant with him. Um, had him 18 months to the day after she was born. Um, his name's Colin. Wow. Yeah, so she was born February 6th, um, 2014. He was born August 6th, 2015. Wow. Yeah. You've heard the term rainbow baby, I'm sure, at this point. Yep. Um, That's what Lindsay's having. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny because it's, like, such a common term for us and, you know, that kind of, in this kind of world, but a lot of people don't understand what it is. So a rainbow baby is, you know, the child you have after a loss because it's the rainbow after the storm. And he really was. Like, he is, like, it makes me want to cry, like, thinking about him. He has been this genuine, like, soul that we have connected with and we love him. And he has brought, like, the love and the peace from his sister to us. He's a very special little human being. I mean, he's a four-year-old kid and he has his issues you know just like any kid and doesn't want to take a nap doesn't want to do this you know exerting his independence but he really is like something special so we had him um and yeah you know I thought I thought oh since I've had a stillborn I've always like loved children I just have this like need to be a mother it'll just come so naturally with him and it didn't and it was really hard because I was like I mean, it naturally, it came natural for me to love him and appreciate him, but it's changing into that role of actually being a mom and altering my life for it didn't come as easy as I thought it would. You know, I was always that friend that was like on the ground playing with everyone's kids while everyone else was like mingling and talking, talking, you know, so I just thought naturally I'd be this mom, you know, that yeah. was just, just dive right into it and be good. Um, and that like, you know, all those things that I wish I could have experienced with Indy. I'm just going to appreciate them even more. Like, I remember thinking, like, I wish I could just sign a, you know, a release form or a permission slip so she can go on a, a field trip, you know. And I'll never take those things for granted, you know. So I just thought every little thing with Colin, I was just going to be so stoked. I would never take anything for granted. And I, I really struggled. And so I think I had the added pressure on top of it that... Here I am, I'm finally a mom. Why can't I just love this? Why can't I just like naturally get into the groove of this? And you know, and it was really hard. I really, really struggled with um, breastfeeding. It never got easy. It was never not painful. Um, he, he ended up actually um, weaning himself at six months because it was just like a terrible experience like for I'm both of us. I'm impressed you lasted six months. I am, in, I am too. And you know, you have all this pressure of like, no, you got to breastfeed until oh, yeah. at least 12 months, you know, and all this stuff. And so there was like this guilt of like, I feel relieved that he, you know, finished and he weaned himself. But I also was just like, like, no, I need to, I need to feed him. I need to be that for him, you know? And so that was really hard. And that was a constant daily struggle, you know, um, because nursing was always like 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And I felt like it was just consuming my life, you know, and I can't be me. I, I lost who I was. I lost my sense of self and autonomy and all that kind of stuff. I, I tell my husband like, 
he I think he like was like what the heck is going on with you because I'd wake up in the morning and I, I said like I'd have brain scramble I'd be like I, I I need to like while you're here I need to either shower I need to eat or I need to feed him or like because I know you know he back to work and it was like if I go shower like he, he starts screaming instantly and you know you you just need that moment of quietness you know and so you get like this I can't go shower because he's gonna need me I can't I can't do this because you need me like anytime I'm eating I'm holding him like so I was always in the morning I was just like I would just so stressed I was so like like I couldn't function you know mornings but like throughout the day I like didn't have motivation to do things um I was just so like everything had to be focused around him and his schedule and getting things figured out and how to and you know they they transition so quickly so once you get one thing figured out they switch and you have to figure, figure everything else out so um yeah it was like a it was kind of a rocky start for me um as far as like actually stepping into the shoes of motherhood um and um you know feeling guilty that this wasn't uh flowing as well as I thought it was going to be um and at the time I don't I I didn't even consider that I had like um postpartum depression or anxiety or anything like that because I just always, I was ignorant, naive to what depression it really was. You know, I just thought depression is just sadness. You don't want to get out of bed. You you don't want to, like, function or you don't want to see people or that kind of thing. You know, so I, I didn't understand that it could come in a sense of, like, just lack of motivation for daily, like, just daily routines. Like, I would see something on the ground and I'm like, I need to pick that up. But, like, couldn't even, like, function in my brain that I, like, actually needed to bend over and pick something up, you know, and, like, a T-shirt on the floor, like like it to me it was just like oh lack of motivation to get out of bed that's what I thought depression was so I don't think it even like um occurred to me really that I had postpartum depression but looking back now I definitely had it for sure mm-hmm. and how long did that last with him um man I would say <laughs> I was even until like um I got pregnant and I had my second son two years and four months after he was born and I would say even during my pregnancy I was like still struggling with like you know how am I gonna do this because that was I like that was really like the craziness of of just the first few months you know I always tell people that like I was living in heaven and hell simultaneously and so I tell people that like when they're pregnant and my other friends are like don't tell them that it's wonderful you know and I'm like I don't know what world you're living in but I'm grateful that it was just heaven for you at all times (laughs) but like sleep deprivation is used as a real torture torture tactic like you know like that's a real thing so like sleep deprivation on top of like all these other things and these pressures and you know I think that that like chunk of like chaos went on for probably like and your first first mom first time mom I'd say probably like for the first year to be honest like Mm -hmm. um you know I got more used to functioning on that kind of level but um I would say for a year but I remember you know I was pregnant with my second son and um thinking like I don't know how I'm gonna do this like this if it's anything like that like I I don't know how I'm gonna do this and I think that carried on through my pregnancy into his delivery and um affected me really yeah and then your second son um after you gave birth was I mean what kind of adjustment to have to I've heard that is just so well, first of all, I became a lot less stressed about certain things, but I was also more stressed about other things. Um, you know, you've, have you seen those commercials where, like, first kid, yeah. you're, like, prepping, and it takes, you, it takes you two hours to get out of the door, and second kid, you're just throwing a handful of Cheerios in your bag, you know, that kind of stuff. And that kind of stuff definitely, like, mm-hmm. happened for me. Um, but I, I realized it was after my second son, Ashton, that I for sure realized I knew I had postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, I went through the common thing of I didn't feel connected to him. Um, He was born and he did not look like my kid and that affected me a lot and I was shocked by it. Um, He was had red hair, he had blue eyes, you know I'm more olive skin, I have dark hair, brown eyes. My my husband has has blue eyes but like my first you know Colin he He had brown eyes, he has more olive skin and it just like I don't know what it was, it was just this disconnect and I looked at him and I knew I loved him but I always felt like he wasn't my kid. And I kept telling myself, like, you love him. Like, you know you love him. And it was just the weirdest thing because I had this, like, this ultimate cosmic connection with Cohen when he was born. Like, you know, worlds colliding type of collection connection. And uh, with Ashton, it was not that. 
And so there was a lot of guilt and a lot of like shame. I didn't want to say it. I honestly had no idea that other women experienced like not connecting with their baby right off the bat because I had had the exact opposite with Cohen, you know? And so I just thought that's how it always should be. Um, yeah, I remember laying on the bed, kind of like laying at his feet, looking up at him and holding his hands. And I just remember looking at him and being like, I do not feel the same way. I like, I know I love him. I know I love you. I do not like know if I like you. I do not know if I like want to like mother you because I just didn't feel the connection, you know? Um, that was really hard and scary to admit that. Um, and yeah, adjusting into two was, was really hard. We moved shortly after he was born. Um, and, um, I would get really, really angry, like have raging moments and it's like seriously afraid of myself, like never to the point of like wanting to injure my children, but like, um, a rage that I've never felt before. Um, and I was just like, I had no idea what was going on, like with me. And I, I felt seriously messed up. Um, and then I started wondering, you know, could this be part of postpartum depression and actually um, Valley Women's Health and the Emily Effect um, put on an event um, and a couple of my friends have been promoting it and these types of things. And I was just like, you know what? I feel like I need to go to that. And I feel like I need to make this a priority and I need my husband to come with me. Because a lot of times I think women are like, I'll just go by myself, you know? Um, but I think it was like crucial for me to have my husband there um, because he's a wonderful human being. He loves me and he takes care of me, but he has no idea what, what the heck was going on in mm -hmm. my head and what was, you know, happening. And he was just kind of like deer caught in the headlights again, you know? <laughs> um, so it was, he, it, it really clicks for him if somebody else is able to validate what I'm saying or validate what he's feeling. Other, you know, I think sometimes we're just too close. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so like we went to this event and I remember this woman got up and she started speaking about how an aspect of postpartum depression is rage. And we both looked at each other and we were just like, holy crap. Like, yeah, I have this. Like, I would rage. Like, seriously. Um, and um, so we just knew right then and there. Like, yep, I've got it. Um, and obviously, like, the trauma of having my daughter... I'm going through pregnancies every time I think I'm going to lose my baby. Uh, you know, I have PTSD, like all those things. I mean, high the, alert, the high whole alert time. the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, your hormones. I mean, it's true. I mean, you, I just got so out of whack. I mean, and I don't know how I would think, how I would think in my head, like, oh, you have a baby, baby comes out, you're fine after that. Like, this is like very trauma traumatic events to our body every single time we go through this. There's no way you're coming out of this unscathed and like you're going to be the person you were before. Obviously, we all know the pounds, you know, that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. I'm talking, like, mental and emotional, mentally and emotionally, you know. Um, but so, yeah, that was, like, a huge turning point for me where I just kind of realized, like, wow. Yeah, I have this. I have anxiety, um, you know, just PTSD, anything like this where I just even, you know, not just, like, leaving, losing a baby during pregnancy, but also I'm just, like, on high alert thinking I'm going to lose my kids, you know, in any type of way. Um, so that was a turning point in, in, you know, I'm the type of person where if I get validated or if I just all of a sudden can have answers to what's going on, it's like, like with my husband, it was like a weight was lifted off of me. And I was like, yep. Okay. I know I have this. I know I'm not crazy, mm -hmm. you know? And that was like a huge, huge thing for me to know I wasn't alone. Honestly, that is exactly why we do this podcast. Yeah. Because I didn't think that I had postpartum because yeah. I was like, I don't, I'm just scared all the time. Yeah. I just have crazy fear yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I remember hearing different stories from other events and just other people mm -hmm. as time went on. Like, and the more that we do this podcast and the different, I thought at first like, oh, these are all going to be the same story every yeah. time my husband mm -hmm. asked me that. He's like, are you worried it's going to be the same thing? I'm like, no, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. As many as we've done, every one of them is a different type of postpartum. Yeah. Or a different type of relation to maternal mental health. So, yes. um, but yeah, it's, it looks so different for everybody. So yeah. anyways, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very different for every single person. Um, you know, and then uh, since I've had Ashton, um, I have had two miscarriages and then, um, uh, we recently had to terminate a pregnancy in July for medical reasons. So, um, it's, 
hey, oh, I'm sorry. I had one miscarriage and a termination. I had a miscarriage before Indy. I didn't even know I was pregnant about. So I've had seven pregnancies, two life births, a stillbirth, three miscarriages, and one termination. Am I doing my math right? I think so. Um, what keeps you going? <laughs> I think I would have been so terrified. Yeah. That I would have just given up. Yeah. You know, giving up at having, having having children. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, um, I just have this ne- like I, I mean, things have changed with Ashton now, and like I, being able to k- accept, you know, what I went through was real. Um, I started on medication. Um, like I love him to death. That doesn't mean he doesn't drive me crazy. He'll be two in December, and he's just like hitting terrible twos, you know. But like, I can recognize like where my feelings are coming from now, um, and so. I have this deep connection and love for my children and I just want more and I feel drawn to have more. Um, and I, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how do you keep going? How do you, why do you want to have more kids? And I'm like, I honestly don't ever have like a solid answer for that, but I just feel like I need to. But I would say, um, after the recent termination in July, I've been really up and down with like, should we keep doing this? Should we keep trying? Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had something crazy happen after every pregnancy with my body. I ended up with Ash after Ashton, like I ended up having brain surgery. I found out I had a right. birth defect in my brain and it was triggered through delivery with him. And so I ended up having part of my skull chipped away so that I could have more spinal fluid flowing. I had Chiari malformation type one and, you know, and so then I had another miscarriage and it was an unplanned pregnancy, but we got excited um, miscarried, it was traumatizing. Like I said, you know, I thought like I would be fine with a miscarriage after experiencing stillbirth, you know, so, so naive. I mean, it was, it was traumatizing for us, like to have that miscarriage it was earlier this year. Um, it was terrible, you know, and we just like, I can totally empathize with people who have had miscarriages now that you sit silently. And I, I kind of stood up and I was just like, why? You know, I remember my doctor telling me, like, well, it wasn't my doctor, it was a doctor in the practice. Um, you know, keep this to yourself until you know you can, you know, you're through miscarriage, scare, you know, time and blah, 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 because it's just easier. And um, I just remember being like, you know, I need people to know. And I ended up telling, like, laying the cat out of the bag that we were pregnant. We actually did a special on um, the news on to, you know, talk about cholestasis awareness um, on Indy's birthday this last February. And we announced at the end that we were pregnant again. And I was only, you know, six weeks or so. But I ended up being really grateful that I, I announced that because then I miscarried it um, not too soon after that. And it was just like, holy cow, yeah, we need to be here. So many people reached out to me and were just like, I have miscarried so many times and my parents don't even know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, why? Why? If you, it's Nobody fine. Nobody talks you, about Yeah, if you, if you want to be, if you want to like keep it quiet and you're that type of person that's super private that way, you do you. But if you want to share, share. If you know you'll need the support, you know, and you don't want to be like, hey, you didn't know this, but I'm pregnant and now I'm miscarrying and now you have to like drop the bomb on everybody in the same way. You know, like just do what you need to do that you feel like is right for you um don't worry about any social stigmas don't worry about any social norms um that's been like my huge thing now I'm like I'm so grateful that I said that I had had I was pregnant and then we had the support to get through that because it was way harder than I thought it was going to be um and then with the termination as well we had announced just before um I think it was like a couple days before I had my first MFM appointment yeah, that I was pregnant, and I went into the MFM, and they found a cystic hygroma on the baby's neck, and, you know, we need to do DNA testing, we need to figure out this is an indicator of, you know, genetic abnormalities, and it came back that she was, um, she had trisomy 13, and so then, you know, we're going down this rabbit hole of figuring out what this is, and what life would be like with this baby, and, you know, if she made it to term, there's a 50% chance that she'd be stillborn again. We found out it was another girl. Um, so here was this wanted pregnancy. We wanted another girl. I've been waiting for this girl ever since Indy. You know, I just, I want that girl. Um, and then, you know, kind of factoring in my health and, you know, our past traumas and experiences with stillbirth and like, you know, 50% get to, you know, are stillborn. And then, you know, a certain percentage only live 10 days. Um, you know, they can live to a year and then, but then it's just, you know, all these things it was like it was terrifying I we were in hell for about a week because we found out that um you know at 13 weeks it becomes a D&E and so I was about to 
be 12 weeks. So if I wanted to have the doctor that I usually see in the hospital that I'm familiar with, I needed to do it before I hit 13 weeks. Um, um, and then there's this, the social stigma of, let's say I had an abortion, you know? Mm-hmm. It's hard to say those words out loud. Like, I very rarely say it, but, you know, you usually use the word termination because it's a little more, like, mm-hmm. you know, not so politically charged. But um, we had to take into, you know... I mean, I, I don't feel like I need to explain myself on everything, but, like, I do at the same time because I feel like there's so many people. So many people have reached out to me, um, you know, saying that they went through something like this and how much guilt and shame they had, and they never told anybody, you know. Um, I'm, we have a, some close friends that went through something similar, ended up um, terminating pregnancy for medical reasons, and, you know, they advise us, like, don't share this because this is so... This is so sacred and such a sensitive subject that you do not want to put yourself out for any type of um, slaughter, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I went into this, I, um, knowing that there was very, you know, politically charged opinions around me from different friends, family, um, about this topic, but I just was like, I share, and I cannot sit here and act like um, I just had a miscarriage, like, not to say just miscarriage, but that's more normal than a termination, you know? Um, so yeah, we shared, um, and I'm super glad we did. It's been really hard. You know, like I said, I'm a sharer, but I've been way less inclined to share about this because, um, you know, something we made a decision to do and there's a lot of like, uh, weight in that. Um, well, and you're still processing it. Yeah. I mean, it just, um, in situations like this, I feel like I can talk about it, but like, and social media has been harder for me to, um, you know, explain myself more. And I think that's hard because people are used to a certain level of candor with me. Um, but I think that they've also, people, my friends, family, people I don't know have also respected the situation we're in. You know, that this is different. Um, with Indy, we had beautiful experiences holding her and being with her and just, you know, peace and love being around this beautiful little human, you know. And with this experience, we have, like, no beautiful experiences around it. So it's just, you know, it's been really hard, and my husband's really struggled with that. So, you know, I think with every pregnancy, whether you deliver a baby or not, you are susceptible to um, postpartum depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. because no matter how far along you are in the pregnancy, your body starts to change, your hormones start to change, you know, these kinds of things, and not just thinking, you know, what your life is going to be like. All these things start to change. But, um, yeah, it was a... It's been really hard to process this one. Um, That probably felt like the most impossible decision (laughs) you've ever had to make. I mean, it was like we would feel super strong about, you know, which way to go, and we'd feel peaceful, and then we'd start researching something else, or we'd hear about somebody else's experience, and then it was just like we'd go down into this hole of hell of just, you know, tormented with what are we going to do because this is – I mean, you can think you would know what you'd do in these situations, and I could. I thought I would know what I would do in a situation like this, and then it's placed in your lap, and you have, I mean, your whole world is upended. Um, you just, you literally have no idea what to do, um, and you start thinking about the ramifications if you, you, you went through the pregnancy, and you go through the ramica- ramifications if you ended the pregnancy, and um, ultimately you can never fully know what would happen. Um, we did go see a therapist um, to kind of like just talk to someone not involved, you know. Um, and it was like, it was wonderful. It, we actually scheduled the termination and we like slid in and got to see her at like 7 a.m. that day. Um, we were just like, we, we just needed to talk to someone who was neutral, you know. Um, and it really ultimately helped us like make the decision that was right for us. Um, and, uh, you know, I just, I'm like, I'm just a huge advocate for, like, if you need to talk to a therapist, you need to talk to somebody, do it. Because, like, if your heart's not working right, you go to a cardiologist, you know. Mm -hmm. If your brain's not working like me, you know, you go to a neurologist. You know, if if your emotions, your thought processes, these things aren't working right, you go to a therapist. Like, I, we... You know, that's why I love what you're doing because just talking about this, getting it out there and open that like, yeah, I'm on medication. Yeah, I go to a therapist because I'm going to take care of myself mm-hmm. just the same as if I, you know, broke my toe. I'm going to go take care of it. Mm-hmm. And so like 
I mean, this we're almost in the year 2020, and it's like crazy to me that we're still there's still the stigma, there's still the embarrassment, and sometimes there is for me too, you know, like to just be like, oh yeah, like well I take this medication or you know this and that. It's like you don't want to like you feel like you're dropping a bomb on somebody, and yeah. so there's this idea in your head that something's wrong with you, you know, but. Um, so I admit I'm not perfect at it. I still get nervous and afraid to talk about things like this, but it's like, I'm trying to like help myself by helping others. Um, it's, I guess it's kind of selfish in a way. Um, it's to help me. (laughs) I want to help others to help me, you know, like, that's um, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I guess you're right. (laughs) You can't be a wounded healer. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. I just, um, yeah, I have to look at it that way. I mean, if I can't take care of myself, how am I going to, you know, how am I take care of my kids? How many, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm. I still struggle a lot, you know. I, I feel like I'm at the end of my, my rope, like, every day. Four-year-old and a two-year-old boy. Um, That's a good mix <laughs> for crazy. Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I still struggle. I, I Instagram, you know, you look like you got it all together. I try to be real. I try to be normal. Um, I try to show the good stuff, and I sh- try to show the crappy stuff, too. You know, I'm just like, I don't try. I mean, I just do. It's just like, that's just me. That's just who I am. That's what I, this is my life. Um and so, unfortunately, the social media is, like, such a huge aspect in our life with mm-hmm. these things. But, I mean, it seems so weird to just talk about, like, what I do and don't share on my, you know, my stories. But it's a, it's a huge thing. Um, I hope people know that, like, I try to just be true. I am a normal person. I compare myself. I get down on myself. Um, you know, I'm negative towards myself. I'm negative towards my life. I'm negative towards the thing. Why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? Why, you know, those types of things. So like, totally, I totally have all those things. Um, but I, I hope I can be open enough to be like, Hey, like, this is how I feel. And other people can be like, yeah, that's pretty shitty. I feel that way too, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I keep thinking like, how amazing that you and Andy were Mm -hmm. on the same page with the termination because... Can you imagine how much? I mean, obviously, We went up and down. We'd be like, yeah, we're on the same page. And then he'd be like, no. And I'd be like, yes. And then I'd be like, no. And he'd be yes, you know. And ultimately, we came together, obviously. but um, Because I could see that that would probably be... I I don't know what you would do if you don't end up on the same same decision. I mean, yeah, I have no idea. I can't even, like, comprehend that, to be honest. To have experienced as much trauma as you did prior to that, of course you would want to have a healthy baby. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and to be—it's on- not like you just had a hookup in the bar. <laughs> you're not having consequences. Yes, it's, yes, this is exactly what termination is for. Yes, yes, I um, believe. And even those women who do, you know, end up ending a pregnancy for those types of reasons, yeah. I feel like I have a new, like, uh, understanding for them. Not necessarily why they made the decision, but what they go through afterwards. I mean, oh yeah, um, no one deserves that kind of guilt. N- no, I mean, we all make bad decisions. Um, but luckily, we can all make these decisions for ourselves. Um, it's our lives, you know, and there's so many things that go into decisions like that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I can have a little bit more understanding as far as that goes. Because um, I'm pro-life. I'm pro-choice. I, I feel like I want you to make the decision that's right for you, and I can't make the decision for you. So it was helpful for me to be able to, like, have my eyes open to you know any like stigmas or judgments I had towards people for certain you know decisions they made but um I can say it's never an easy decision no matter what the reasons are um it's never an an easy thing to deal with afterwards um uh yeah I I don't think I've uh, like there was a certain type of sadness after I had Indy but there was a certain type of sadness after this termination that's really hard to describe and hard to articulate Mm -hmm. completely I look at, this is a joke all the time, but literally I look at Britney Spears when she shaved her head and I'm like, I, I get it. <laughs> I it's so weird because I remember like She's judging. She's just in the spotlight. Yeah. Like I have mom friends from high school that have ended up in jail because yes. they get addicted to pills yes. and all these yes. things and they go crazy and leave their kids. Yes. And I always judged for that. Yes. And so I'm so grateful, like you said, to have experienced what I have so that I can look at them with more compassion. Yes. And understanding of like the something's going on or you wouldn't have made that decision and I think we're all emotionally intelligent to be able to hopefully we're all emotionally intelligent enough to be able to even if we haven't been through something like that then we can like look at that and be like wow they're really going through something I don't know what it is but because I look at it and I'm like for someone to understand me and be able to like say and do all the right things for me 
they would pretty much have to go through what I've been through. Mm -hmm. And I don't want people to have to go through what I've been through to be able to get that type of understanding. So I try, like, have some compassion. You know, I try and, like, it's opened me up to, like, you know, people that are going through things that I didn't, I've never been through. I'm like, man, I I want to understand more what Mm -hmm. they're going through because I get now that there is a lot behind whatever they're going through. Um, And so, yeah, it's just kind of opened me up to, um, people going through my same situations or something similar to being more open and, open and compassionate towards them, but also people that I don't know what they're going through, being more open and compassionate towards them as well. That's so true. My ability to forgive has oh, yeah. expanded yeah. a lot. Do you feel like, I remember not too long after your first, I messaged you, um, one of my friends had still had a stillborn mm-hmm. at 38 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember messaging you, asking you, how can I support her? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. I, because I feel like people shy away from people that have yeah. been from through that much trauma yeah. because we don't want to say the wrong thing yeah. or say the typical thing. Yes. It's just foreign. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. You know, what, what do you, would you say to that? Well, it's really hard because each person grieves differently. So I try to like preface with that. Um, but I also try to say like, like I said, like, you don't they don't know what they need um they don't know uh, what kind of support they need unless you just like force your way in you don't want to like kick down their door and be like i'm here i'm gonna take care of you obviously you want to do it with tact and with like you know to their within their boundaries and things like that but like you know show up on their doorstep with food knock on the door text them i just left you dinner i love you um you know I tell people try and stay away, uh, stray away from um, comments that are like fix-it statements. So something that you, if you're going to say at least dot dot dot, if you're going to say something like that, stay away from it. If you're going to say like at least you know your daughter, you know your daughter is too good for this earth and she just went straight to heaven, or um, you know I had the comment like God needs her more than you do. I'm just kind of like no, I don't give a crap what God needs right now sorry but I need my child you know so saying something to the effect of trying to if you like think it think about it in your head before you say it if you're going to say it and you think this is I'm trying to fix the situation know that there's nothing you can do to fix it there's only something you can do to support them um and empathize with them or support you know be you know be supportive and sympathize with them um but I mean I, what we found was really helpful was, yeah, just people just showing up in a non-intrusive way. I mean, that sounds really ambiguous, but like, you know, people that just sent us food, you know, and nowadays there's DoorDash and Uber Eats and all these things that weren't around. And that's just something so simple that you can do. I mean, it's so, it, it, it is simple, but it's truly needed. Like you can't even like think about like pouring a glass of milk, at the, you know, at the time like, yeah. you, you can barely think about feeding yourself. So when someone shows up with food, you go, oh, yeah, I am hungry. I do need to eat. You know, maybe you can barely taste what it is, but like, you know, you need to put like sustenance in your body. Um, and then just I just want to tell people, like, just say their child's name to them every now and then. And I think a lot of people are afraid of doing that because, yeah, we don't want to make each other sad. But what's so wrong with being sad? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I have like a, I had a friend recently text me and be like, I was just, I saw an amethyst and I thought of Indy because that's her birthstone, you know? And like, of course I broke down crying. Like yeah. someone's thinking about me. Someone's thinking about my daughter, but it was like, thank you. Like someone's thinking about me, you know, like that's huge. That's a huge thing to do, especially as they get further out from their loss. Um, just listen to them. Don't ever try and like put in like your two cents really you know just listen whether it's loss whether it's depression whether it's like you know i'm just unloading like i can't believe i feel this way towards my child don't don't like oh oh my gosh you know like whether you feel shocked or not keep it in you Mm -hmm. know like just let them be them let them be a human for a minute and like they're coming to you to talk to you so just listen mm-hmm. um i don't know if you've ever heard of the circle of influence it's like you picture a target and what whoever is going through the trauma that's directly affected is in the center of the target and then people on the next ring out in the target are like your best friends your siblings your um parents and the next ring out from that is like maybe more extended family that you're not as close with or you know more you know not as close friends and the ring out from that is like acquaintances and um so if you're in an inner ring whoever is on an outer ring from you you can dump 
anything out that you want to say to them. You can do whatever you want. But if you're on an outer ring and someone's inward from you, you can't dump in. So, for example, you can't be like, I can't come to you and you, you know, you're struggling with depression and be like, oh, well, you're struggling with depression. Let me tell you about me and blah, blah, blah. And you're, you're dumping into this person who, you know, is coming to you and trying to express to you. Like, mm-hmm. don't try and compare. Don't try and, like, one-up. Don't try and these types of things. Just let people dump on you whatever they need to dump on. And then if you're like, man, this is really sucky. Like, I need to, like, dump this on somebody. You go to somebody that's further away from that person that's mm-hmm. at the center of trauma. You don't go to that person. You find, um, like, the what I keep thinking of is the word that's called, like, you hold space for them. Yes, right? exactly, like, yeah. So you hold space for that person, and then somebody that's, you know, further out from the situation can hold space for you, but you never go directly to the person that's at the center to let make them hold space for you. Mm-hmm. That's exactly. It's just like, you know, you just... You just go through phases. You cannot be that support for somebody sometimes when you're the one that's in the middle of something. It's so true. When you have to put that oxygen mask on first and to be the center of that target and to have to be the one to lay out hard boundaries to those people is really, really difficult. Yeah, because you feel like this should make sense. (laughs) Come on. But you'd be surprised how many people don't get it. I know. And it's like it's a culture almost just to try to fix it because you're, you're wanting to give comfort or... You know, your intentions, most, most of the time people's intentions are good. Yes. Well, that's what I tried to remind myself. There were so many times where I felt so angry about something that somebody said to me or did. But then I tried to be like, like I said, if they knew what I needed and what I needed to hear right now, they would have most likely had to have been through this. And I do not wish this on anybody. There's plenty of people out there that don't have to go through this. Like my parents, they've never lost a child, but they were just like solid rocks for us. They knew like everything that we needed, we needed when we needed it you know, how to talk to us, like all these things, when we needed to talk, when we didn't need to talk. I mean, it was just like some people are that way, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I wouldn't say that's rare, but it's also just more normal to, you know, try and fix it, try and sweep things on the rug, try and make go back to quote-unquote what is normal life, you know, for somebody and think if we can just get, back the, get them back to their normal, then they'll be fine. You know, mm-hmm. we just need to help them get there. But it's just like you can't. You can't do any of that. You just have to let them do what they need to do. Give them that space. Give them the oxygen to breathe. Like, like you said, like like I, like with Andy, when, after we lost Indy and after certain things, like if someone just validates that to you, you really feel like you can breathe. Like I, I felt like a literal weight lifted off of me, you know, when I started talking to women that had gone through terminations before, you know? I just felt, I can't even describe it, just to sound cliche that weight you know Mm -hmm. and talking to people and getting that oxygen is uh Mm life-saving i totally agree so what does life look like for you right now um you know i still i feel like um i still i feel like i'm in like baby years i can have children but um Sometimes I feel like the ramifications might be too great on me, whether I want to bring a kid into this world or not. How can I, you know, I need to be the best mom that I can be to the kids that I already have here. Um, So I've gone through, like, highs and lows of, you know, do I go through pregnancy again? And, you know, I don't have a problem getting pregnant. I have a problem staying pregnant and going through that, like, am I always going to lose this baby and what that does to me and what that does to my children and what that does to my husband. You know, then I've had these thoughts of like, well, do I adopt? And I forego the pregnancy so I don't have to deal with all the emotions and the hormones and all the physical effects of it, you know. Um, Obviously, whether you bring a baby into your home or not, you're going to have physical effects, right? Yeah. Um, But but directly related to pregnancy. Um, So, I don't know, right now I just feel like we're trying to like kind of go with the groove and... um, from one day to the next, it kind of changes as to what we feel like is right. Um, from one week to the next, you know, I started feeling like this is it. We're only going to have these two boys, you know. And then like a couple of weeks later, I feel like, no, 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 I want to try one more time. You know, I'm going to try, I'm going to try for this one more time. I'll try for a girl or what's another boy. It's fine. You know, I've kind of resigned myself to being a boy mom, which I've <laughs> come to love. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, um just kind of going with the flow and trying to you know get into the groove of every new stage of life with these kids that we have you know but um yeah 
we're kind of just trying to figure that out right now just kind of people always ask me that too like how do you what are you doing i'm just like i don't i don't have an answer for you i don't i was i I don't know how and every person's so different i don't have like a a step-by-step thing to get through you know a pregnancy after a loss or a step-by-step you know list of how to you know survive through grief and that kind of stuff but you i literally just i i try to go with the flow um I try to do what is right for me and figure out what is right for me. And um, ultimately, I mean, my health is of utmost important to be the mom that I need to be. So just kind of trying to figure that out. I'm, I'm struggling with some issues from my brain surgery to like a year ago, July. And it's just like, could I go through another pregnancy with this? You know, um, that type of stuff. And is it, is it the right thing for me physically? So moving forward, I mean, we're just, busy um taking care of our boys loving them um you know my husband just started a new job um I'm kind of all over the place with random things I do work-wise I need that to stay sane I need things outside of the home to stay sane I was just talking to a friend today um just interacting with adults outside of the home is like crucial for me. I, I need to be able to do that. It's not just like saying hi to the moms when I drop Cohen off to school or the dads, you know, like yeah. I, I need um, something that is engaging. Um, and so just trying to find something like that that keeps me um, more consistently occupied with that's um, uh, more fulfilling for me selfishly. So, yeah. Well, you got to remember who you are yeah. before you became a mom. Exactly. I think. I think we have this idea that we just like we forget all who you know who that person was and we just go into mom mode and um yeah it's hard to it's hard to make that adjustment and just not be you anymore I mean you got to be you yep it's so true and one of the main things that we ask at the end of each of our podcasts and I kind of want to do two questions um so the first one is there's probably most likely a mom out there that's going through something similar with a stillborn. Mm -hmm. What would you tell her right now? She's in the thick of it. What do you Mm. wish you could have told yourself? Uh, So my husband found this quote um, from someone who had actually lost their, I think it was their fiance. And it's interesting how grief from with different, in different stages of life with different people in your life can relate to each other. Um, and it was a quote about how, you know, when you lose someone, when you lose your spouse, when you lose your parent, when you lose a child, there's a hole that's created in your heart. And um, in the beginning, that hole is a jagged, dark, messy place to be. And I got to tell you, that hole will always be there. Like, that hole's never going to go away. So don't try and, you know, cover it up or fill it in or anything. But it's always going to be there. But over time, you know the jagged edges of that hole will start to soften um it'll become a much brighter place um it'll that hole is always there but it will become more of a garden will grow around it it becomes this experience in your life that is there and it's changed you and made you who you are now but it's an easier place to be um so i like i i want to tell women that i want to tell parents that you know dads grandparents that have lost a baby um like it doesn't necessarily get better. It just gets easier. Um, there's not an hour that goes by. You know, I said I, when she was first born, every minute I thought about her in some way. I'd say now I'm to the point it's like every hour, every hour, every other hour, something like that, I think of her in some way. Um, but, like, it it gets easier to uh, visit that, that place in your heart. Um, and just, like like I said before, allow yourself to grieve the way that you need to grieve give that respect to your mind and your heart your soul your body physically to go through each one of those stages and pass through them and do what you need to do to get through them because like like i said you're just surviving and surviving is okay like seriously like i just want people to know that just surviving is okay during those days you don't need to put on a brave face you don't need to try and show up to the family birthday parties. You don't need to, you know, post on social media if you don't want to. You can be a recluse. You can, you know, go behind closed doors. You need to, or if you want to share, like me, if you want to be open, if you want to help people, have people help you process, like do what you need to do. Um, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
And and the second question is for moms with termination. Mm -hmm. Either the moms that have Mm -hmm. or are facing that right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like you said, there's a lot of guilt Mm -hmm. and a lot of silence and feeling very alone. Mm -hmm. And you're, I realize you're some semi in that right now. Yeah, I still am. I still am. I'm still, I still have a, it's very emotional for me. Um, it's very deep for me still. Um, I just try and tell myself like, if this didn't hurt, if you didn't love and want this baby so much, this wouldn't hurt so much. So just like, you know sit back on that feeling that you like you know you love this child or you would have loved this experience in your life um and know that this child would have had a good life um so yeah it's 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 still like this ongoing thing for me um but I want people to know that like you know we were afraid to put it out there I would say over I got over 500 text messages, um, comments, direct messages, comments in, you know, in person. Um, I I mean, if you're counting that, I guess it's over 500, but I mean, I mean like digital outpourings of love. There was one person that was negative. And so just know that like, you're afraid of what people might think of you. And even people that I know, um, are very against termination and abortion for whatever reason. Um, close, close family, friends, things like that. They reached out and just told me they love me. You know, whether they agreed with my choice or not, they loved me. You know, so just know that like um, there is more love than there is hate and there is guilt. Um, the guilt is heavy. It's very, very heavy. It's probably not going to ever go away. But just know that there's there's so many people that love you and want to support you um, and be there for you because I think it becomes real when it's someone you know instead of just like something you hear on the news or something that they're, you know, voting on in Congress or things like this, you know. Um, It's so easy to uh, make judgments and comments on situations like that. But when it becomes someone you know, when it becomes you, um, it becomes a lot more personal, obviously it becomes a lot more real and it's just this situation where you know this human being you know their heart um so just know that people i would say 99.9 percent of the time are going to love you and support you Mm -hmm. people want to i really believe that everyone in their in their inner circle want to support you yes whether they agree with you or not yeah if they don't I don't, that's, there's no point in having that type of relationship in your life. I mean, I guess everyone's entitled to their own opinions and to their own feelings. And I have to remember that, mm-hmm. um, because I tend to get into a rut where I think that I'm right, you know, and I, sh- everyone should think like me, everyone should feel like me. Um, but that's not true. That's not the case. You know, it's beautiful that we are all different and we all have different emotions and feelings and thoughts, but it's just when someone acts on those thoughts um, and chooses to be negative towards you mm-hmm. and treat you poorly, that's when you need to start making that decision if this is the best relationship to have in your life or not. It's so true, especially because we're all just going through so much. Yeah, we all, and that's the one thing I'm like, holy crap, like, what is wrong with me? Why does, like, tr- why does, like, crap just follow me and trauma and that kind of stuff? And, like, I only started thinking that, like, just recently this year. <laughs> and it's just like, you know what? There's a lot of people that are going through crap. They just don't share it. They decide to share it and talk about it. And you look and you're like, what is that person going through? Mm -hmm. You know, quietly behind closed doors. What are they going through? Um, So I think it's important to always just have that empathy and charity and love and kindness towards other human beings because we are all walking through this life together. And I think that's why we are here as one of our main purposes is to be here for each other. Otherwise, we'd be living alone in the wilderness. Like, you know, everyone back at, you know, hundreds of years ago, they lived in villages. They lived in small groups of people because you need to have other people to survive. Mm -hmm. You need that. That's so true. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from this for me, at least, um, is to allow people in. Yeah when you go through those kinds of experiences I tend to act like I've got it together and whatever but um well I think sometimes people think fake it till you make it yeah and that can work sometimes (laughs) I'm not gonna lie but other times it doesn't I'm not afraid to talk about things either I think it's just when people want to bring you food or oh I still hi like I don't know if I could like so when we were going through 
the termination, like the week where we were in hell trying to decide what to do, I like we were just like we couldn't even think about food. But I I couldn't like reach out and be like, I need help. Mm -hmm. I still struggle with that. But like after the termination, people were just like, you know, here, let me help you. Let me send you food. And that was great. And we looked at each other like, wow, we actually really needed this like last week when we could barely function because our every single brain cell was going towards what is the right decision, you know. Mm -hmm. But we neither of us had the gall or wherewithal to like ask somebody for help so that's a lesson for me too because I look back now and I'm like yeah we really needed that my kids were eating like cereal that happens all the time eating cereal for dinner all the time but like when it happens every single night you know you're just like okay something's got to change like we need help you know well thank you so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable um for the people out there that don't currently follow you on Instagram what's your handle so my name is Nina Earl and it's N-E-E-N-A-E-A-R-L. That's just my Instagram, Nina Earl. Awesome. Okay, anything else you want to add? I don't think so. I mean, I could talk for hours, but, you, you know, I got to stop somewhere. We'll <laughs> so have okay. you back on again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba Podcast Studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.